thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's fun having kids. I know it's kind of a random way to start a message, but um, because they always give you such good um, fuel for uh, object lessons or for kind of ways and sermons to kind of help to draw, um, kind of help draw truth together. So after stepping on a Lego piece, um, it re- kind of brought to mind a, a, just kind of a way um, that we want to start um, this morning. Um, do we have any Lego people in the room? Meaning you were either as a kid, you were building with Legos, you, you know, whatever. You know, there's a lot of, it's been around a long time, so I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. There we go. We got people who really, who really love the Legos, um, which, I think is, which I think is cool. So in my extensive understanding of the Lego culture, and it has to be a culture, because I mean, you have a Lego land, right? This isn't something that's just like, oh, it's just a little toy you find in the back. I mean, it has its own theme park for Legos. I mean, it's, this is a real deal. And if you look at the prices on sets of Legos, you know that the only reason the prices are high because there's people crazy enough to pay it, right? And so, I mean, you could buy a $300 set of Legos. So there's a culture here. All right, that's more information I plan to share. But anyways, I need you guys to follow me. So in my understanding or research of the Lego culture, I found that there are two types of Lego people. And you can tell me if you fit into this world. And if you have no love for Legos whatsoever, I'm sorry, but just follow me. There's the person who likes to get the different pieces and then just build whatever they want, right? So they don't, it's not about the getting the set and making the set look exactly like, it literally is, I just get the pieces and I put them all together and I don't know exactly what it's gonna be when I'm done, but I know whenever I'm done, that's what it's supposed to be, right? And so there's this great feeling of freedom that comes when you build with Legos in such a way. (laughs) And then there's the second type of Lego person, which, for lack of a better term, I will call the -the by-the-book Lego people. Now, these are the people that specifically buy the set, the box, and they want what they built to look exactly like the box, right? It has to look like that picture. And they literally give you, so my son is a by-the-book Lego person now. So there were two parts to this Lego set. A helicopter and a truck. And we literally had to go through each page of this book and had to painstakingly find, all right, Malcolm, find this piece. Okay, now we got to find this piece. And it will literally tell you step by painstaking three-hour step on how to put together so that when your thing is done, your truck will look exactly like that and your helicopter will look exactly the way it's supposed to look. That, to me, is a lot of work for a game. 
I choose Uno. But anyways, today, for the next 27 minutes, I need us all to become by the book Lego people. Because God has given us a very clear step-by-step process in which sanctification happens in our lives and in the community. And I don't want us to, to miss or leave something out because, well, I have an idea what that's supposed to look like, so I'm just gonna go with what I think it's supposed to be. No, God has given us, the, you'll see it, we're only gonna cover one verse today. As we're in this series called Sanctification Through and Through out of 1 Thessalonians, it's one verse we're gonna talk about. And as you see it there behind me, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dave shared that a little bit earlier. And so we're going to look at verse 14, and I'm going to pray for us. And I want, as we're thinking about Lego, as we have kind of Lego on the mind, I want us to think there is a process, there is kind of an instruction that God is giving us this morning with which to follow. And at the end of following that process and the continued processes that he's taken us through, because we know that sanctification is progressive, meaning it never stops. We are constantly, daily being sanctified. For sanctification purposes, we're saying to look more like Christ, to be holy, be set apart, to be like him, not the picture we have in our mind of what he may look like physically, but that our hearts would beat as Christ's heart beats, that our passions would align with the things that Jesus was passionate about, that the things that we speak would be seasoned with grace and love, the way those things that came out of Jesus' mouth where he could confront you and love you at the very same time. So as we're talking about this progressive grace and that we want this to permeate us through and through, we want our lives to be forever affected and changed as we walk through life on a daily basis, there are some very clear instructions. And so today, as I open our time with prayer, I'm going to pray that the Lord would allow us to just listen intensely to those instructions. And that at the end of of that, that when we look at Christ and we say, man, I'm making progress, Lord. Looking a little more like you each and every day. So, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have, Lord God, to come together this morning, God, to open up your word. God, for some of us, we've been doing this for for maybe 60 or more years, and, and for others of us, this is still very new. But Lord, we pray that as we open your word this morning, God, that the words would jump out of the page at us. Lord God, that they would permeate deeply into our hearts and lives. God, we don't want to be the same. God, every time we open your word, the the Our desire, our expectation is that you will change us. You will transform us. You will help us to look more like you. And so, God, we pray this morning that that's what happens. God, not my words that are spoken out of my mouth because I, I get sometimes excited and I may say whatever, Lord God, but I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak this morning. It will minister to us in a new way, in a fresh way, God. 
bring your word alive to us. In your precious name we pray, amen. So as I said, we've been in this, we're starting, this is just the second week of this series um, on being sanctified through and through, um, and kind of from that theme out of 1 Thessalonians um, 5.23. And so today, we're going to kind of, we last week, sorry, we, Dave, talked about kind of how we are in this process to relate and to, um, to relate to our leaders and those who say work hard among us. And so he's, you know, preached out of, a, out of a few verses, starting at verse 12. He says, you know, now we ask you, brothers, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, hold them in highest regard and love because of their work, live in peace with each other. And now we are in verse 14. And that's what Dave gave me today. He said, you only get one verse. I had to work diligently to get that one verse into a sermon that could be delivered in one day. And then I had to work hard to get that down to one hour. And then I had to work equally as hard to get that down to be able to present this in the next 25 minutes. Now, there is so much in this one verse. And so here we go. We're just going to dive in. says this, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Wow. Seems like a little. Let's dive into it. So he says, now we ask brothers to respect those who work hard among you. This was last week's, right? And how you relate to your leadership and those over you. So that was those specific instructions, right? Putting this piece right there. Then it says, and we urge you. So now there is this, we've had this conversation about how we are to treat and honor, respect those who are put over us in leadership within the church. And then it says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, right? So now it's not just about how you relate to those who are over you, those who are in authority, those who are in leadership, those in pastoral or eldership leadership at the church, but now it talks about how we relate to those across from us. So it's an and. It's not a you can, you have to honor and respect those in leadership over you, but you can treat the rest any way you want. No, he's, he's very clear. And he uses word very clear. And we urge. This isn't just a just passing glare announcement. This is an urging that Paul has. And we urge you, brothers. Then it tells us to warn, encourage, help, and be patient. So what is he saying? He says, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. This is not an easy piece to preach because it will require me to speak to some, well, all of us, and then the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will have to convict your heart on whether this relates to you. But in the Thessalonica church, there were people among them, so I'm going to just describe these people, and you can kind of make any personal inference yourself, but there were people at that time who were um, inactive, in the body. Idle. I mean, you think of a car, right? Your car, when it's, when it's just idling, you're not moving. The engine's running, 
but there's no gas going to it. There's no movement happening. And so it's saying that there were people that he's telling us to warn, and he's not telling me as a pastor or as a preacher or as an elder in the church to warn those who are idle. No, he's now speaking to all of us as just brother and sister in Christ to warn those who are idle, meaning we are to speak to, we are to warn, we are to admonish, we are to rebuke, even use words as strong as we are to reprimand those who are not working for the, their, the building of the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't a not working because you don't have a job and, you know, you're looking and those kind of things. No, this was, he goes on in, in one of the other chapters in 2 Thessalonians, he gives a fuller view of this idea. And he said, these are people who are basically, he uses the word freeloaders. They are looking to everyone else to provide for them without looking to be able to do that on their own. Now, this, and let's be very clear. There are folks who lose their jobs and are trying desperately, seeking the Lord, sending out resumes. This is not these people. These are people who are perfectly capably able to work and serve and choose not to. Choose to allow others to do what they are fully and able-bodied and capable of doing. And it says we are to warn those who are idle. We are to warn those who, may, who are choosing to live in such a way. We're to reprimand those. It says we're to work so that we can care for not only our needs and for those of, of others. It says if we don't, we can expect there to be consequences. Ecclesiastes 10.18 says this, through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands the house leaks. Now we're talking about just basic work on a building, which is, which is also, which is extremely important, but even just our own desire and ability to know that it is part of our calling as children of God to work, to serve, to serve one another, to, to, to work, to provide, to, to serve our families and our children. I will always say that my wife is probably one of the hardest workers I know. And people will say, well, she only works part-time. No, she only gets paid part-time. <laughs> no, she works overtime every day. Very rarely will I find her just kicked back on the couch just chilling. You might find me there a time or two, but very rarely. <laughs> because Proverbs 31, 27 says, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Man, I'm gonna call us out. I was listening to a sermon by Matt Chandler. I don't know if any of you listen to him at all, but he had a very powerful sermon where he preached about this very idea. I remember listening to it almost two or three years ago, and it has stuck with me ever since. And he has called out men, and he said, men, these are his words, not mine, so if it comes across harsh, you can blame it on him. He said, men, you should not have energy at the end of the day. 
He said, you work hard when you go to work or you're serving or whatever you're doing and you come home and you're playing with the kids and you're hanging out and you're encouraging or you're going over to church to serve or you're, you're helping the neighbor who needs it. He said, you're working and, work. and when you get to the end of the day, you should be spent. And you go to sleep and you do it again. And he said, why is that important? Because the reality is when we're not, then we give our given, our nature as men sometimes is to be given to things that are not good for us. If I need to say it, I, I, will, I will say it from here so you hear because we don't talk about it enough in the church, but the Barna Group, really popular um, research firm, does a lot of research on kind of Christian culture and those types of things, says the leading cause, the number one leading cause of pornography use among Christian and non-Christian alike is boredom. It's boredom. It's not keeping your hands busy. It is allowing yourself to become idle allowing yourself to, to not be doing things that God has called us to do, just sitting around and get it. There is time for rest. I am not telling anyone to burn the wick on both ends. For some of us, we probably need to slow down some. But for some, we feel like, hey, we've worked eight hours. We've deserved the right to sit and do nothing for four or five or six hours. Even though wife is cooking dinner, hey, do that. Even though the kids are asking to play, hey, I'm tired, I've, I've worked. We find ourselves doing things. We find ourselves with idle hands about things that don't bring glory to God. And so Paul is saying, as a part of this sanctification process of looking more like Christ, his instruction is simple, that we are to work, that we are to be busy, that we're to keep our hands active, doing the things that bring glory and honor to the Lord, building the kingdom. So it says, and we urge you, warn those who are idle. Church, warn those around you that you know who are idle. Then it says this, next, that's piece number one. Then it says, encourage the timid. So we're warning, we're reprimanding, we're rebuking those that are idle, and now we are encouraging. So we need to be able to be bold as the body of Christ. I am now giving you permission, not my own permission, but permission from the word of God that rebuking and reprimanding one another, speaking out words, saying, man, brother, sister, God has called you to something more, something greater. We get the opportunity to do that. But then it also says we are also to encourage. And it says, encourage the timid. Encourage those who may be afraid. So we're no longer admonishing now. Now we are encouraging those who may be afraid. Please understand, we learn in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we could turn to it, 3 through 5. It says this, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, 
When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. This is Paul as he's sending words, sending this letter to the people of Thessalonica, and he's saying there's a lot of persecution that is happening at this time. Right? They have been under attack as, as a church. They are being persecuted, and he's saying there are some now who have developed a fear, a fear to, as the church, to, to, to be bold in what God is calling them to, to, to be bold in, in who God is calling them to be as, as a body because they are fear of what might happen. And he's saying we have to encourage those who are timid. We have to encourage those who are afraid. We have to encourage those who, who just sit idly by sometimes, not out of just, I don't, have a, I don't want to do anything, but as a, a fear, of, I don't know what to do or, or, or what if I do something wrong or whatever it might be. Allow me to encourage you. I've told you all probably a couple million times, and you'll probably hear it a couple more million, I apologize if it's repetitive, of my lack of love for public speaking. Nobody believes me, ever. But there is a reality that I am introvert by nature. This is not my nature to do this. But about 20 years ago, Eh, maybe, yeah, about 20 years ago. A lady, I was at a church. I think I've told this story before. I'm saying this as a way to encourage you. There was a lady at a church. It was a church I had never been to before. It was a small, very Pentecostal church in Wisconsin. Like the, I don't even remember where it was. All I know is we had a group of young people there. I was working in juvenile corrections at a time. At that time, we had a group of uh, maybe about 15 there. And I think we matched the rest of the congregation. So I think there were like 30 in this, in this church. And nobody knew us. I had only been working for the organization for about three weeks. And so I'm in this church and this pastor's wife is, is up front. And I, like I said, I feel like this, I've said this so many times, repetitive, but some of you are new. And she said, I've got a word for Andy. Is there an Andy? in here. So we're all looking around. The kids are all looking at me, elbowing me, right? And I'm like, well, that's not me, because God knows my name is Anwar. So if he really wanted to talk to me, he would use my official name, not my nickname. You know, it's, this is God we're talking about here. He's not going to call me by Andy. He would be like, no, I'd be more official. Anyways, so I, they're elbowing me, and nobody else is moving. I'm waiting for some other Andy in the room to say, oh, that's me. So there was, no one else did. So now all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, here, here. And she said, come here. So here I go, walk down this small, I mean, small church, half the size of this, this space, not even including the wing. And I walk up, and she speaks very clearly to the ministry that God has called me to do. And she said, you are going to be mighty in ministry. He said, you're going to speak all over the place. And I'm just listening to this. I'm like, are you sure you got the wrong, the right Andy? Ask him for clarification on this name thing. 
But it was in that, it was in that alone that God called me out and said, encourage the timid. I was timid. I would have said, I love the one-on-one. I could do a group setting with some of the hardest kids known to mankind, but you put me in this state and it's like nerve wracking. I love speaking to kids. I could do that all day. It's you guys that scare me to be quite honest. But she called me. And she encouraged, without even knowing me, I was encouraged in my spirit to say, all right, God, then whatever you're going to, wherever you're going to put me, I'm willing. And now, 20 years later, here I stand, every time I'm up here, uncomfortable as all get out, but willing to say, God, I promise you I'd be obedient then, and I still promise you every time I'm going to be obedient now. So I want to encourage you who are timid who are afraid, who are shy, who's saying, this is just not me. I cannot do that. No, you can. God, if he calls you, he will equip you. So be encouraged today, church. There is nothing he will call you to do that he won't equip you to do. Now, I will leave here and retreat back to my house in the warm confines of my space and close the doors. But for now, I'm going to bring God's word. Amen. Encourage the timid. Then it tells us this, help the weak. This isn't physical weakness. This is not physical weakness. This is not, hey, help the little old lady who needs you to move a piano. Right? Most men, we're like, okay, I could do that. You want me to move a couch? Good, I could do that. You want me to help that person who is weak, burdened? struggling with life. I mean, there in this time in Thessalonica, there's an earlier uh, chapter, I think in the chapter just before it, talks about those who were concerned about their loved ones who would die. Because they did not understand what happened after death. And they were thinking, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? My loved one is gonna be, is gonna die and is gonna miss out on the second coming of Christ. Or even a chapter ahead of that, they were talking about those who were caught up in sexual immorality. And they were dealing with those things. And he's saying, help those who are weak in that area. Who are weak in that they don't fully understand the scripture. They don't fully understand the promises of God. Help those who are struggling and are weak in their sin because they don't have the strength enough on their own at this point to to pull themselves through, but they can lean on you and I. We are to reprimand, rebuke. We're to encourage and we're to help. We're to walk alongside each other. We are to build each other and to help each other, not just in those physical ways, but in those ways where the struggle is real. Where you can't say, I am weak, and I don't even have the strength to look to God right now because I just feel so isolated and alone. And he looks to her brother and sister in Christ who comes along in just that moment and says, I, can I pray with you? You just, I just, I just feel the desire to pray with you or, or to give you a hug or, or I'm just going to make you a, a meal because I'm just going to help in any way I can. I don't even know how half the time. Because people look to me and it's help and I'm like, I don't know, but God, I trust you. 
I trust you that if you have put me in this position to help, then God, you're going to give me what I need to be able to do so. That is the calling for all of us to help the weak. And then finally, it says to be patient with everyone. That's so hard. There are some folks that are really hard to be patient with. This is not a simple human endeavor to be patient with everyone. This idea of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, cannot and will not happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. The strength and the power of the Spirit is the only way that we will be able to accomplish this step-by-step instruction that he's given to us as individuals and therefore to us as a church. That we are to be patient with everyone. That as we're admonishing and reprimanding, as we're encouraging and as we're helping, we are to continue to do so as if we're working not for man, but for God. And so constantly, just as God is so patient with us. Well, I didn't want to deal with, I just dealt with you in that issue last week. I want to deal with you in that same issue this week. Right? I mean, I'm that way with my own kids. Didn't we just have this conversation (laughs) last week? Why are we still talking about the same thing? Did you not learn it then? Now we had to do it again. And God is saying the same thing to me all the time. Andy, didn't we have this conversation? I have learned, by the way, that he does refer to me as Andy. He doesn't usually use Anwar. So it's just a whole thing. (laughs) Just thought thought you guys would would know, want to know. He is constantly patient with me in my inadequacies, in my fears, my struggle. And he's saying, I am wanting to generate a sanctified community of believers that will be patient with each other. That you know we are not perfect. We will not be perfect until we are perfected in that final day. But until then, we're to be patient with one another. We're to love one another genuinely and deeply. We're to continue to help. We're going to continue to encourage. We're to continue to, to, to reprimand as needed. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Church, if there's only one way, If there's only one Christ, if there's only one body, if there's only one, then we all must now go through that same crucible, right? We must all go through on that same direction. We are all together on that same path. And in their effort to be more like Christ, to look more like him, we're all moving in that same direction. Then it says we must be united in this. 
We must work together in this. We must encourage. We must reprimand. We must rebuke when necessary. We must help. We must do these things as the body of Christ in order to help move everyone more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. One of my all-time favorite things about the game of football, and you guys know it, I love everything about it, But one of the things I love about the game is it's such a team sport. Here's a cool thing. I don't know how many of you watch sports, but I'm going to explain one of the coolest things about it. When the offense scores a point, guess what? The entire team gets those points. Isn't that crazy? So there's six points for a touchdown, and there's one point for an extra point, and when that offense such as scores six points, guess what? Those guys who weren't even on the field, they still reap the benefit of those points. There are some of us who are strong in certain areas and we're able to encourage, we're able to to, to kind of help push people in certain ways and we can kind of move them. And even though they feel weak in a certain area, that's okay, just walk with me, walk alongside me because as I'm growing in this, you just come along in your imperfect way and guess what? At the end of the day, his grace covers it all, right? So even though you may feel like, well, I'm really weak in this area, but you know, I've been diligent to do my very best and I've allowed people to speak into my life and to work with me and to walk alongside me. And God is saying, well, because Jesus scored all the points, you will get that as well. It's crazy, you all. It's crazy. But as a body of Christ, as a church, as a sanctified individual who is working to be a part of a sanctified community of people, we then together, together, unified, one body, one team under the banner and lordship of one Christ, we then, man, are to rebuke and reprimand those who are idle. Call people out. It's never fun, but it is so necessary. Right? We get, to, we get to encourage one another. How awesome is that? We get to, I probably should be reading this because I didn't memorize it. There we go. We get to encourage. We get to help. Right? How important is it for us to help those who need it? Get to encourage those who are shy and timid, help those who are weak, and we get to be patient as we do it. Knowing that we may have to do it over and over and over with the same folks. But guess what? God has already given us example because he said, I do the same things over and over and over for you. My grace still continues to be sufficient, even when you mess up in the same way 50 times. I'm going to be there with you for the 51st. Church, that is the beauty of the body of Christ. That is the beauty of being sanctified through and through as we are tempting to be more like him. And if we put these little pieces together in the order in which God gives them, as we continue to just say, okay, I'm going to work on that this week. What we are developing is a community that looks, that speaks, that loves like Christ. 
I want when, I'm, when somebody comes in this church for the first time that they smell the aroma of Christ in the room. It doesn't matter if they step foot in the sanctuary. If they come in through the front doors, they're going to see Sam. <laughs> and they're going to smell the aroma of Christ. And there's someone who may be struggling in their marriage, and they're going to come through. And I'm going to say, my brother and sister, Jim and Sherry, have been married for 45 years. As imperfect as it may have been, they have learned something of the sustaining grace of God in their marriage. Anybody need to be encouraged by how God brings people through? That's a couple worth having a conversation. Because I will tell you what, I am sure that they spent a fair amount of time on their knees. I've learned that in just 12 years. I can only imagine 45, so I'm just saying. But blessings to you guys. Such an honor. Sorry. I'm trying to use social media for good because I learned that from your daughter's Facebook page. All right. (laughs) Family, I love you all. And I want us together, I want us together to move in the direction of looking more like Christ. I want us together to, to struggle together, but to find the victory together that in this fallen and dark and just busted world in a lot of ways, God is still up to amazing things. And he wants to use you and me in this process. As we look more like him, man, it's going to affect. It's going to have an effect on Lansing and the surrounding community and the globe. Amen? Amen? Blessings to you all.